Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 78 of the Liberty Cafe. What a blessing it is to have you here with me today, listening in as we talk about, well, liberty and, and the fight for liberty here in Texas and, and really across the world. And, and it's also a blessing to be a part of the Texas Scorecard Network. Texas Scorecard is the sponsor of the Liberty Cafe, and we've been working at this for over a year now. And it's been an awesome relationship, and I'm just glad to be a part of that group of uh, men and women who are also engaged in this fight for liberty and bringing, really, although it's not explicitly a part of what Texas Scorecard does, it's still a, a big part of it, bringing the gospel and the whole council of law of um, God's word to the public domain. So it's great to, to do that and great to be with you. And so let's get started today. So I recently read a really good article by Gene Veith. Uh, Gene is a – he's a Lutheran evangelical. He's a former cultural editor at World Magazine. He's been a professor for a long, long time, and he's written a lot of very good books. And he was writing about this concept of something that's being talked about as black flight. Well, what is black flight? Well, if you've been around for a while, you certainly heard of white flight. And white flight was this uh, exodus, if you will, of whites from cities, inner cities, even the, the, the middle parts of the cities and the edges of the cities out into the suburbs. And that really started in the, the 60s and, and on into the 70s and 80s and, and really has continued to this day. And, of course, everybody was saying bad things about white flight back then because the, the whites were abandoning the, uh, the suburbs and, and, I mean, the cities and leaving, you know, the minorities there to suffer in some ways. You know, the tax base was going out and all these kind of things. It wasn't a good thing from a lot of people's perspective. And nobody really talked about why maybe whites were fleeing the cities. Well, the same thing's kind of going on today, this concept of black flight. I hadn't heard of it before, but it's apparently a, a big conversation going on in, in the world, particularly, it seems, in the progressive world, which is kind of surprising that you would see the, um, the, the progressive world in their weighing in against this concept of, of bl black flight. So let me just kind of explain to you using a few points that Veith um, had in his article what black flight really is, and then we'll go into some of the details. So the, the big piece of this is blacks are leaving inner cities and going elsewhere, right? One, one example of this is Washington, D.C. So in 1970, more than 71 percent of the population in Washington, D.C. was black. But according to the 2010 census, that had dropped down to 59. And in the latest census from 2020, that number has dropped to 41. Washington, D.C. is no longer a black majority city. It's, it just, it's, it's radically changed. Chicago, of course, is well known for its violence, unfortunately, in the inner city where blacks mostly live. If you look at the statistics, uh, 
in Wash in Chicago, for instance, you know, I, I can't remember. Like, I just saw this the other day and had it in uh, something I was doing, and I've got it on my computer. I could look it up, but that's okay. We won't do that. Uh, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, and don't hold me to this. Somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy percent of blacks killed uh, of people killed in in Chicago are black, and and that sounds maybe like it's sort of racist, except for the fact that somewhere about the same amount of people, I think it's actually a little bit more, of the people who are doing the killing are black too. Well, it, it turns out that the blacks may be in Chicago, may not be happy with that. And so from 1980, when 40% of the city's population was black, today that number has dropped to 29%. And in fact, uh, Politico had some numbers up where it shows that nine of the 10 American cities with the largest black populations have lost black population. The, the percentage of the black population in those cities has changed. And uh, people are calling this the, the next great migration. Uh, as a shortcut, they're also calling it uh, black flight. And the really interesting thing about this, or one of the interesting things about it, it's pretty interesting, is that a lot of progressives, as I said, are bemoaning this fact that, that blacks are leaving the inner city and, and breaking up these historically black uh, neighborhoods and, and cultures that exist there. And you start to wondering, well, why would – progressives actually be upset about this? What, what's going on that's so bad? Because it wasn't that long ago that we heard from progressives that segregation was a bad thing. Right? And in the 1960s and 70s, progressives wanted, wanted to enforce busing and integration through the public schools through busing. And so th this happened in my neighborhood, and this happened in neighborhoods and cities and states all around the country, is that white kids were plucked up and put into historically black schools, and black kids were plucked out of their schools and put into historically white schools because the purpose was integration, right? Now, integration's not a bad thing, right? And as the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and works in all our hearts, it eliminates the distinctions between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. Well, and that also works across nations and cultures and people. So we would expect to see over time less distinction between people of different races, different skin colors. But, but that takes time. So busing probably wasn't the best way to carry out integration. Nonetheless, integration's a good thing. Segregation, particularly enforced segregation, uh, is, is not a good thing. So here we have blacks voluntarily participating in this integration. We're, we're no longer having to force people and put them on buses. Uh, people are Blacks are getting out of the inner cities just like whites did uh, a generation before. So why, why is this a bad thing? Well, there's uh, uh, several reasons. There's this one community organizer uh, who's in, involved in all this. You remember 
maybe there's a lot about community organizers in our history that are um, not that far back. Barack Obama was a community organizer before he became president of the United States. And, and we see where that got us. So we have to be concerned when we hear the term community organizer. And so there's this one community organizer who, best I could tell, uh, is black himself. And he he's bemoaning the fact that this one neighborhood in Washington, D.C., that the blacks are moving out of and it's losing, again, its culture and its character, even though, it, best I can tell from the article, that he actually moved out of the neighborhood himself. But, but that's a different different thing. But anyway, and what he says is that it's up to, to progressives and blacks to be leading the charge to take back D.C. We mean we have a right to the city. Now, do they have a right to the city? Well, no. I mean, if, if you want to go back and, and talk about the, the historical trends, uh, there was a time where there weren't so many blacks living in Washington, D.C., and, and the blacks that were there often were involved in, um, you know, well, not slavery right in D.C., but there because of the slave trade around there. And so going back to history has its problems as well. If you go back to a lot of uh, cities uh, but prior to this, there weren't up in the north and Detroit and Chicago and those kind of things. There weren't that many blacks living there. And, and so what happened was that actually – if you go back in history, and Thomas Sowell, great author, he's an economist, and he's black, and he has done a great job of debunking a lot of the things we hear about uh, when it comes to race and racism that is being promoted you know, largely by a lot of white liberals uh, who seem to be complaining about racism. But anyway, he, 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 he talks about the cultural history of migration and immigration and integration. And what happened in America starting way back when in the, in the 1800s, for sure, is when we had our, our first big period of, um, of mass immigration uh, in, the, again, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And, and people groups and ethnic people groups would come from all over the world to move to America. And, and we know about a lot of who those are. There was Chinese and there was Irish and there was Italians and Germans and Hungarians and Czechoslovakians. And, and what typically seemed to happen was they would come to an area, wherever that happened to be, and they'd move into an area that was filled with people like them, people who came from the same place they were. It was not always or even usually a case of skin color, but it was a case of national identity and ethnicity, right? And, and so you would have these neighborhoods come in and people come into these neighborhoods, but then something would happen. They would come here not as wealthy and not as prosperous as the people who lived here already, but then something beautiful happened. As they became part of the American culture, became enculturated and adopting the ideals and, and values of America. In fact, Really, they probably came here because they already had a lot of those ideas, ideals within them, and they wanted to live them out. They came here, and they got prosperous. And when they became prosperous, they moved out of those neighborhoods, the, the lower-income neighborhoods to which they had moved in. And that was a continuing cycle. And for instance, here's one great example of that. Uh, there used to be 
a neighborhood in Detroit called Pole Town. And not surprisingly, Pole Town was where Polish immigrants lived. They And they, they weren't the, the first bunch who were in there, but they were the bunch who was there for a while and got a name. But then the Polish became more prosperous and started moving out. And at some point in time, blacks started moving in. Now, why did blacks move in? Because there was this mass migration of blacks from the South. In the really after uh, they became free, but really particularly in the late 1880s, 1890s, 1900s, early 1900s, that kind of thing, mass migration of, of blacks from the South looking for greater economic opportunities. So they came in and they moved in, in, in this particular instance, they moved into Pole Town. And it was a place thriving with culture and it was a, a great place to live, opportunity for blacks. Uh, some Sal talks about Soul. I'm sorry. Talks about a a poll that 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 somebody did uh, in that area. I think it was Detroit, maybe at, at that point in time. And people uh, up in northern the northern cities and stuff like that, they were much more accepting to blacks than they were to southerners moving up there. Uh, particularly blacks who had already lived there, because the Southerners, including to some extent Southern blacks, but but particularly white Southerners, often brought a mentality up there that that wasn't very um, beneficial to the community. Uh, fighting's going on, uh, not working that hard, dishonesty, those kinds of things. And, and so they didn't want white Southerners coming up there, but they were much more accepting to blacks. And so you have this this community of Pole Town. Well, Pole Town doesn't exist anymore because the Democratic leaders of Detroit in the 1970s decided since everybody was leaving the city, they were leaving the city because there weren't jobs, and so they needed to revitalize the job situation in Detroit. And so they took the entire neighborhood of Pole Town away from the blacks through eminent domain. They seized their homes through the blacks all out of their homes, and they turned Pole Town into a General Motors plant. They gave the money to General Motors and let General Motors build a plant there. there I have pictures of that on my website. And it's pretty amazing that the, the, the people who are concerned about, you know, you know, progressives and Democrats who are allegedly concerned about you know, blacks and how well they're doing just took this away and put jobs there instead through General Motors, and the blacks no longer had a place to live. Well, come back to today, and, and we think about it in this context that migration has always taken place, but that came to a stop, right? Ethnic people and, and racial minorities, there's always been this migration as people become wealthier and move to different places to get away from lower income places where there's more crime. And But that all came to a stop. In, no, not all came to a stop, but it came to a stop largely when it comes to blacks in the 1960s. Why did that happen? Well, two reasons, uh, welfare and civil rights legislation. Right. If you look, Sol points this out really clearly. If you look at the 1940s, 50s, early 60s, uh, the black population was just rapidly growing in educational attainment and achievement, in jobs, in wealth. It was a radical change uh, coming out of the uh, of the days where the South was still struggling with how to 
deal with that. And that, of course, went on into the 50s and 60s, but it was radically changing, not just in the North, but in the South, too. But then the federal government, at the tail end of this transition, decided to come in and impose two things, civil rights legislation, which it didn't make it illegal to um, uh, discriminate. It just made it illegal to discriminate against blacks. And it wasn't the government that couldn't discriminate because the government still can discriminate against blacks and whites. It was people, individuals. and But the problem in the South wasn't necessarily that people were discriminating. I mean, that was happening. But it was illegal for a person not to discriminate. You know, lunch counters, buses, those kind of things. Most of those buses were privately run. Lunch counters were all privately run. The government had made it illegal to not discriminate. So rather than the federal government just coming in and saying, governments, you can't enforce discrimination on your people, they they sort of got rid of those laws, but not really, but they just told people they can't discriminate. Well, that's an unconstitutional uh, infringement on property rights, and it, it doesn't really sit well with people. And and it just didn't solve the problem. It exacerbated the problem in some ways. And so that's one of the reasons we had to have um, you know, enforced busing, those kind of things. And then the other thing, of course, they did was welfare, which basically created two generations or so of impoverished blacks stuck in what is known as a permanent underclass. Well, it looks like what's going on today is the market has developed in such a way, despite you know, interventions from the government, you know, welfare, public schools, uh, taking away opportunities for private education, and then also things like the minimum wage, which keeps young black men from, from getting jobs and perhaps working their way out of the Chicago uh, slums. Despite all that government intervention and, and much more, it looks like the market is finally coming around and allowing blacks, even in places like in inner cities, to earn enough money to get out of the inner cities. There's nothing new about this as we've just gone through. People have been doing this for, for a long time. And it kind of goes back to why whites were fleeing the inner cities uh, 50 years ago, because nobody wants to live in an area where there's crime and, uh, and poverty and not a lot of jobs. And so blacks are just repeating that, but yet the liberals and progressives don't like that for some reason. Well, why don't they like it? Well, it may be because it's it's destroying their voter base. I mean, this is just speculation on my part, but it, it seems would seem to make sense because if you break up blacks as a community, you're also breaking them up as a voter base. And the only reason that Democrats have run this country to the extent they have and been popular in elections for a long time is because you know typically they get anywhere 90-95% of the black vote. And if that starts to fall apart as blacks come out and start working and start becoming entrepreneurs, well, not that they haven't before, but in mass and start seeing wow, life is very different out here in the suburbs wherever they're moving uh, and Maybe these policies that uh, some people would say have been keeping us blacks on the farm or the plantation for all these years, maybe they weren't, aren't so good for us or for other people as well. And that may break up the, the 
the monolithic black vote. We already saw that start happening in the um, in the Trump election, both 2016 a little bit, but particularly in 2020. That's one of the amazing things about the um, the uh, 2020 elections is 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 Trump vastly increased, significantly increased his share of the black vote and the Hispanic vote, but still lost. Hmm. Wonder how that happened. But that's a podcast for another time, perhaps. And so it looks like that the concern about black culture and black neighborhoods really isn't about that at all. It's about political power. And that that's kind of shows up in the fact that where is the one of those top 10 cities, which is the one of those top 10 cities that is increasing its share of blacks in the population? That's Houston. And Houston, for all its faults today, is the most free market city in the United States. No zoning, very little economic regulation. Now, they're trying to change that, the, the current regime and Harris County around it. But nonetheless, it's still the best place for a lot of people to go and earn a living. And, and blacks are seeing that. And so they're not fleeing from Houston. They're, they're fleeing from cities up in the Northeast and, and, and other places where economic opportunity is at its worst. So I, I think what we see here is basically an exercise in blacks exercising their civil rights, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of property, you know, earning a living. And, but, you know, God set that up in a way that both markets and politics, that the only way we can truly exercise our civil rights is through the marketplace. As we go out there and we exchange our life our labor and our property with others, or our labor and property with others, and enrich ourselves through the process of producing wealth and gaining a portion of that production as we exchange with others. And where that's not happening, happening, we leave people in poverty. Well, blacks are realizing that now, it seems, in large numbers, and moving to places where they can exercise their God-given, unalienable rights and in finding the opportunity to grow and prosper. And I just don't think we ought to be bemoaning that, but we ought to be celebrating that. All right, well, thank you very much for joining me on episode 78 of the Liberty Cafe. It's great to be here with you as it was, as it is always, and also great to be a part of Texas Scorecard Network, our sponsor.